Howdy. Thanks for listening to Let the Movie Speak. Before we get started, uh, we'd like to ask a favor of you. It's a simple favor. If you could just rate and review our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen, that might help other ears get into our ecosystem here and hear another episode. Anyway, enjoy the show. Everybody, thanks for uh, joining us again. This is Let the Movie Speak, a podcast where we try to let the movies speak and stuff. Uh, my name is Travis. I am Justin with the correct microphone level. Thanks, Justin. This is definitely the first time we've tried this. Uh, and we have a, a pretty awesome guest today, a good friend of ours. Super uh, awesome. Yeah. Who's our guest today? Thank you. This is Micah. Hi, Micah. Greetings. How's it going, man? I'm doing well. How are you? Pretty good. How do you like the theme music? I was enjoying it. I, you know, it's an, it's funny. As I heard it, I thought that's got to be Huey Lewis. And Undoubtedly, yeah. Sure. Yes. I believe he's from Marin County, or they they were based in Marin County. I think that's right. And then I think he lost his hearing. He lost his hearing. Yeah. Well, he can't perform and actually. Yeah, he's deaf well. now. <gasps> yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Did I ever so. tell you about the time I went to a concert and he was supposed to be there and he just didn't show up? No. Yeah. That sounds like Morrissey, not Huey and Lewis. <laughs> uh, yeah. I was at a show, which was like tons of people, Bonnie Raitt and hmm. whatever. And uh, Huey Lewis was supposed to be there and like, they, he just never showed up. Oh, and the Doobie Brothers. Yeah. Oh, cool. It was a yeah. pretty crazy show. Anyway, uh, we're not here to talk about Huey Lewis in the news, although that theme song is uh, pretty rocking. We are here to discuss our third time travel movie, uh, which is a bit of a different take on the genre. And it's one that you may have seen before. It's 1993's Groundhog Day. Uh, that's why we brought on Micah. And we are going to get into the nuts and bolts of this thing, uh, what makes it fun and funny, and uh, anything else we find. Uh, this is not the first time I've seen this movie. Justin, I don't think it's the first time you've seen this movie, is it? I'd put it around five. I think I've seen this movie around five times. Yeah. And Micah, you've seen this probably more than us by... Quite by, a bit, Yeah. yeah. I, I would say it's apropos of the movie, though. So uh, apropos, uh, whoa! Break out your dictionaries. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, we're going to get into Groundhog Day, but because you're first time guest, uh, to give our listeners a little bit of a flavor of what kind of movie watcher you are, uh, what what's your favorite genre? Who's your favorite director? Give us some taste. Sure. Uh, I would say that what I really enjoy in particular are. I like dramas, a good heavy drama, mm -hmm. uh, maybe a little bit more cerebral. So if I'm thinking of directors or writers, I really like Charlie Kaufman's, Mike yeah. Jones. Um, I do like zany things as well. So if you think about... Um, Wes Anderson. Well, yes, Wes Anderson. I was thinking more like Tim Burton. That's oh, yeah, yeah. a little yeah. bit more in my... Um, uh, what I enjoy. Wheelhouse. Uh, indeed, Wheelhouse. Thank you very much. Uh, and then uh, I do like... Uh, a lot of Woody Allen stuff. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily his newer stuff, but uh, I'm a big fan of him. And He's made a lot of freaking movies. They can't all it be It used brilliant. to be yeah. one a year. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah. It's not What's quite What's your favorite Woody Allen movie? Uh, it's called Manhattan Murder Mystery. It's yeah. also uh, 
Okay. Same as Groundhog Day. It's from 1993, and I grew up watching that and And love it, it has the uh, amazing Alan Alda. Alan Alda, Diane Keaton. Yeah. Uh, I believe uh, Joy Behar makes an appearance in it as, as well. I, I remember that, but I believe yeah, you. Yeah, she offers guacamole <laughs> repeatedly. <laughs> Who could forget when Joy Behar offers guacamole? And she guacamole. wants another piece of pie, Yeah, she says. yeah. So. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot only because I know oh you're, you're capable there's this one line from Manhattan Murder <laughs> Mystery, and not that many people do an Alan Alda. Uh, it's you know the line I'm talking about. Is it uh, treadmill? Yeah, yeah, yeah the yeah, treadmill, yeah, yeah. and yeah. Uh, uh, give us arteries. Yeah, 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 g- yeah, give us a little Alan Alda. Uh, I'm gonna try. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I got a great way to kill someone. You clog your arteries with uh, whipped cream, chocolate mousse. <laughs> they go like that, you know. I'm, Anyway, so it's kind of like that. And then he says wow, something about like, uh, fantastic. we set the treadmill to Olympic levels. Yeah. It, yeah. He is like, I, he's like got to be somehow related to Woody Allen because they have the same like me, like meter to their voice, but yeah. they're like two octaves apart. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and he, he was in other uh, Woody Allen movies as well. Yeah. Crimes and Misdemeanors comes yeah. up. Oh, um, that's so my favorite Woody Allen movie. Oh, really? Yeah. He oh, plays yeah. a really funny, egocentric doofus of a guy, but. Yeah. Okay, so a little eclectic in the the tastes and whatnot, which we love here. Uh, Before we get into the movie we came to talk about, Groundhog Day, we're going to do what we always do, which is tell you what we watched this week. Justin, kick it off. What did you watch this week? He always does this, listeners. Hold it against him. Hold him accountable. It's Hold everyone. I'm still thinking of what I want to say, and it makes speak me... Speak truth to power. Okay. So um, this uh, week in democracy, I watched uh, with my children, my neighbor, to- Totoro. To- See, I'm going to screw up the last name repeatedly because I told my children without hearing the name that it was Totoro, and then watching the movie found out it was Totoro. And, you know, afterwards, the question was, Dad, why are you so stupid? <laughs> and there's no real answer for that. So it's just like, well, I'm doing the best I can. Go to bed. Uh, anyway, <laughs> it's this four, is It's a, four in the morning. Please leave me alone. Yes. Right, please. We have to sleep sometime. My children, children wake me up asking me, Dad, why are you so stupid in the middle of the night? Often. Yeah. Do they? Wow. It's uncomfortable. Um, I believe Micah is woken up by some of his uh, stuffed animal collection, yep. uh, which asks him the same thing. I have um, done. <laughs> Not the record show. Okay. All right. We can just deny. That's fine. We're not here to uh, examine that today. No, yeah. no he has none. For um, sure, he has none. Yeah. For, for sure. sure. Zero. Can, wink, can I ask wink. a question about Totoro? Is, is it a cat? Totoro is, is that, just a... It's a spirit animal creature. Okay. So it doesn't really... It, it looks sort of like a cat. I mean, this is the movie with Cat Bus, if you guys have seen that. It's a bus that is shaped like a cat and has 12 <laughs> legs and lets the children into it, right? Right. So it's just, uh, I mean, everyone's done that, right? If you've seen The Little Mermaid 2, oh, yeah. you know Cat Bus. Okay. Cat Bus, there it is again. Yeah, oh my gosh, Elsa and the Cat Bus. Yeah, yep. duh. Okay, anyway. I thought that no, was a weird move a, for Frozen 2 to, have, to bring in the Cat Bus, but... It, it was, but I did appreciate how it kind of decolonialized the narrative, <laughs> you know? Um. Anyway, no, uh, Totoro, th- this is a really fun movie. It's very, um, maybe it shares one similarity to the movie we're going to talk about today, and then it's very 
Um, it's not made, at least, you know, in terms of a story or a plot, this isn't made in, in a way to um, try to uh, play with your emotions, mm-hmm. I guess. The, there's no... The stakes aren't ginormous. It's just, it's a lot like real life, you know. Um, obviously, <laughs> well, unfortunately, I don't have friendly, like, you know, creatures uh, that are only visible to children uh, that come and talk to me in real life anymore because um, I, too, gave up my stuffed animal collection. Right. But um, yeah, there's just something very, I, the movie really captures, I think, how kids think accurately, which is often a failure in making movies with children. Um, and just kind of the, the the innocence and the joy of childhood and also kind of, you know, growing growing up and, and dealing with things that are, you know, quote unquote, above your age. Anyway, I would really recommend it um, to anyone that is interested. Um, that is not really a synopsis of the movie, but we've we've got a lot of ground to cover and not enough stuffed animals. Yeah. So. Who, who's going next here? Fellas? I'll go next. I'll go next because it, uh, it it connects to yours in the sense that it's a kids movie uh, as well. Uh, but it's uh, Mitchell's versus the Machines, which is a uh, relatively new animated feature by the same dudes who brought you uh, Clyde with a Chance of Meatballs and uh, the Lego Movie, the right? Lego Movies. I think both of them, if I'm not mistaken. No, just the first one. Oh, who did the, the second, second one? one? Someone not as good. Yeah, I agree. Did they do the Batman one, though? No, that wasn't them either. They oh, were only, the like, heck? executive producers or yeah. something. I thought the Batman one was fun. Anyway, uh, and what? They started doing Solo, right? They started. <laughs> they tried. They tried yeah. <laughs> until Kathleen Kennedy came and got them. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. right. Uh, anyway, uh, Lord and Miller, who I think when they are the total creative minds behind something, are so smart like it it's kind of they take a simple concept and just execute the the heck out of it so like with the lego movie the whole idea is like what what if we did a whole movie that was very self-aware uh about like the lego universe there's been lots of like lego animated stuff anyway mitchell's versus the machines is sort of your standard uh born out of the cold war sci-fi plot where like you know uh, robots invade the earth or it could be aliens it could be robots or giant bugs or whatever in this case it's like a little bit of a modern play on it because it has to do with ai and technology and whatnot this is not like it's never been done before but it's really good uh writing the animation is amazing like if you have any appreciation for that stuff a lot of the times I've found, you know, have, I, have having had kids in the house watching stuff with them, you've got like Pixar and then everything else below it, right? Like is just the animation's not as as uh, tight and like original and well-crafted. Uh, and the writing is usually a little bit better in, in those, in that studio stuff. I would say that like the only people who can hold a candle to, to, Lord, uh, to Pixar rather is Lord and Miller. Like their movies are super unique really entertaining and at this point having seen a lot of pixar stuff uh i think a little bit more original um at this point in the game the uh the other thing they did justin if i'm not mistaken was that into the spider-verse uh movie which is uh i'm pretty sure that was them uh which is awesome really really good so i would say uh definitely check out mitchell's versus the machines great cast fun uh fun plot fun sequences fun animation and uh, you know, good like character development stuff to boot. Like it's it's a really f- whole package kids movie, which is 
a little bit harder to come by than you might imagine. Uh, Michael, Usually it's, you know, only like a side of fries or something, but you're saying yeah. it's a whole package. It's, there's a, there's it's a drink a included. five course meal. Uh, okay. Start, wow. Starting with the hors d'oeuvres yeah. and all the way through third desserts of third sub- desserts. substance. Wow. Yep. So is that like, is, that's like what Marvel does in the post credits. Yeah. Yes. Obviously. Okay. Yeah, that's a perfect okay. reference point to jump off to to go to Micah because he's a huge Marvel fan. That's not true. <laughs> he's not a Gen- huge... He's world's biggest. The world's smallest Marvel fan. Uh, what did you watch this week? Was it a Marvel movie? Absolutely, it was. No, uh, I've been watching... <laughs> I went down kind of a... Um, I'm going to say Fairly Brothers. Yeah. Uh, Fairly Brothers uh, little journey. I started with uh, There's Something About Mary, which yeah. I think is uproariously funny. Yeah. Um, and then I went to uh, what did also watched Kingpin, yep. which also features Bill Murray. Uh, had a has a very fun um, scene featuring the song "Showdown" by ELO, mm-hmm. which is a really fun dynamic between uh, Bill Murray and Woody Harrelson. Uh, went on to "Shallow Hal," mm-hmm. uh, me myself and Irene, and then "Dumb and Dumber." And I have to say that um, I think uh, there's something about Mary's is definitely their best one, in my opinion. Um, it was somewhat of a downward trajectory in my, as I was watching the movies, uh, I not, not, uh, like chronologically, but you're saying the order you watch them. Yeah. The order in which I watched them. I mean, of course, dumb and dumber is is sort of seen as like a classic nineties comedy. Um, and it's, it's funny, but I would say not as funny as I remembered it. So, Mm -hmm. uh, but there's just a certain element of, of kind of screwball zany uh, that works well with, there's something about Mary. Um, and I particularly loved the the featuring of Brazil by the Ray Conniff singers. I think uh, they have a great ear for music uh, yeah. that is okay. featured in that movie, um, and, and and then there are other movies as well. Um, so, so you did like a ton of Fairly Brothers recently. I did. It's I, like a filmography journey. Almost. Yeah. Oh, and Along Came Polly. I forgot about yeah, that yeah. one, which uh, is sort of a forgettable one. But I yeah. would say Philip Seymour Hoffman is amazing. He plays in that his movie. heart out for that movie. So oh. I Rain Dance. Yeah, <laughs> that is that is an amazing B part where he's just like yeah. the gross friend for like. Yeah. He's in like three or four scenes. He's not in like a ton of the movie, but totally stealing every moment. Like, oh yeah, well, especially so the the scene with uh, Jesus Christ Superstar. I mean, that's really oh my funny. gosh, What's I forgot buzz? about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Oh so. man, yeah. Uh, rest did you guys peace, hear that okay. he's dead? Yeah, it's a bummer, dude. Was it what year did he? Was it 2012? Yeah, I think it was 2012. Almost ten years ago now, I think it was actually oh, okay. actually this hmm. this fits for this show today. I believe he, he died, died on today? Groundhog Day. <gasps> no, 2012. Way. It was also Super Bowl Sunday. I remember that distinctly. Look that up. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Okay, I'm well, fa- I'm fairly certain. Consult the accordion. We will check the accordion. Uh, the but RIP, nonetheless. And, yeah, for sure. One and, of my and Micah, could could we just describe what Micah's wearing for everyone? Um, n- not in that way, but uh, I just I I feel like bow tie. Yeah. Um, very studious, very well manicured. Yeah. Uh, this is a gentleman in our presence. Okay. <laughs> yeah. He wore so f- don't in in memory of Philip Seymour Hoffman. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't be put off when you hear words like apropos and uproarious. Oh. Embrace it because we have a a, a gentleman 
lecturer among us. That's right. Okay, everyone. Well, I hope I hope I don't there. lecture anybody. That's that's not. Well, the, I hope you lecture me. I feel like okay. I'm being lectured right now. No frankly. bow ties here, though. I don't know if I've ever even owned one. So, well, I oh come that's on, what that look, thing it's got little polka is. dots on it. Yeah. It's blue. It's, oh, they're talking about rats. Okay. All right. So, Groundhog Day is our feature conversation today, and it's another time travel movie, but not like our past two, and not like I don't think anything after it, Justin. Uh, no. And we're going to talk about the context, where this movie came from, who went into making it, and in a little intro section we call Getting Jiggy with the Jiggy Watts. How many times have we been here? Would you believe me if I told you I was sent here from the future? I want to know when and where you sent him. What, you think I keep like a logbook? Target vector, July 16, 1969. All right, so to intro this film, I think uh, the two dudes that matter most about this movie... Uh, Paul McCartney and John Lennon. Those are them. <laughs> no, uh... They all they let's just say that they're Paul McCartney and John Lennon of of this movie, which would, whoa yeah, okay that would make Andy McDowell the uh, George Harrison and Chris Elliott <laughs> the Ringo yeah. Star, Ringo Star. <laughs> <laughs> man that seems accurate there was a drum solo in there somewhere yeah uh, and uh, some music which we'll get to later uh, but anyway this is directed by Harold Ramis who is like a huge name in the eighties and nineties and a little bit beyond but not not a ton beyond. Uh, and more than that, a big time partnership with Bill Murray throughout the years. They both got their start um, on SCTV, which is like pre-SNL, yep. SNL, Canadian SNL before SNL existed, basically. And there's tons of names that come out of SCTV, Dan Aykroyd, John Candy, uh, Martin Short. Uh, the, the list goes on. Is Catherine O'Hara as well? Or is that... I Oh, Eugene Levy. Uh, I don't know yes. about Catherine O'Hara. Okay. Yeah. And then um, who was Martin Short's girlfriend for a while on that? Not on that show, but they were mm. they were dating and she's famous too. Anyway. John SCT, Candy. It was John Candy for sure. They made a beautiful couple. Uh, <laughs> the, Bill Murray and Harold Ramis would go on to do, you know, uh, Caddyshack, Stripes, Ghostbusters 1 and 2, and then Groundhog Day. And then interestingly enough, you could kind of, in an alternate universe, see them making movies together forever, like almost like De Niro, Scorsese, or I guess you could say Leonardo DiCaprio and, and Scorsese now. But um, what happened, Micah? I think you have a little bit of the backstory. Something, something yeah, happened. Yeah, this, this film was actually their last collaboration. Yeah. They, they did not get along at all yeah. on, the, on the set. Uh, I know... Bill Murray was having some personal issues. Uh, I, th I think he may have mentioned he was going through a divorce at the time, something yep. like that. But um, he wanted more of a somber, melancholy angle to the film, whereas Harold Ramis, interestingly, wanted something a little bit more comedic, a little bit more fun, lighthearted. And they never really reconciled that uh, yeah. to the point where they would get in spats and um, it just really, the relationship for them on the set was fraught and then it was largely ruined uh, yeah. after the after the filming of it up to Harold Ramis's death. So mm -hmm. um, this was basically their last hurrah. Yeah. Uh, it's really interesting that that happened for them at this point to me because like you you could see like, you know, your Christian Bale freak out on set or your Tom Cruise like ego in the room kind of a thing. Like any director in any you know, big star, let's say. And Bill Murray was certainly that in the eighties going into the early nineties. 
you could see something becoming kind of radioactive, but after that many movies together, you know, yeah. it's kind of shocking. Um, so they are at the helm and um, we have obviously Andy McDowell as the female lead in this movie. And then like some of the best uh, character actors in the B parts, Justin, um, would you, would you say that like, without the ensemble cast pulling their weight in a movie like especially with the structure and the concept that a movie like this is kind of toast yeah absolutely bill murray is not because of the way the, the movie is structured right yeah. he can he can be bill murray which he is in every movie um kind of like you guys are talking about um philip seymour hoffman mm -hmm. you know um that that's always going to be a known quantity but he the way the movie is structured i don't think he can he can't make it float by himself right um and he doesn't have to i i do think it's interesting that you know, Micah mentioned that um, Murray wanted this to be a little more dramatic, and and Ramis did not. I I feel like that tension is maybe not palpable um, mm. because it, it comes off as a very uh, I don't know heartwarming is a little cliched sounding I guess, but um, it's a very gentle viewing. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it doesn't ask you to feel too much. I'm not saying that it doesn't have anything to say. I'm not saying that it's like lukewarm. Um, but it's not like there's some, you know, majorly depressing or uplifting moments, at least not for me, which is again, not a criticism, but I, I feel like had this movie been more somber or more comedic, um, it, at least in my opinion, it, it would have been, it would have been better. Interesting. Um, I'm not saying that it's bad. I'm just saying, I, I think that a swing in the pendulum, uh, one way or the other, uh, for my money, at least, uh, would have made it, um, a better movie. Yeah, I think that uh, as we go through, this is really going to be like a movie of moments. We're not going to go through plot point by plot point because that would be ridiculous. Day by day. Day by every day. <laughs> We're going to do every single day. There are, what, 40 of them or something? I think there are 38. Yeah. yeah, 38. I was rounding up, but that's fine. Well, 38 featured on the on the movie. I, arguably, it was the original script had 10,000 years. Yeah. Which, eh, maybe. <laughs> I think they settled. It'd be a on... way longer movie. I think Harold Ramis had settled on 33 or 34 years. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so we'll get into that uh, when we talk about, I, I'm kind of just looking at this, you guys as like, uh, let's look at some good lines that work, some good sequences. And then there's some character stuff that happens really. It's really like literally just between Bill Murray and Andy McDowell's characters because everybody else is super static, right? They stay the same. That's the way the movie's structured. Um, but before we get into this particular movie, Justin, I thought it'd be interesting to take a second to talk about how this movie is different than the other ones in our series, right? Because okay. we have HG Wells, the time machine, which again, gave us the idea of what a time machine is, how we kind of understand time travel right. in literature and in film, you know, largely because of that story. Somewhere in time was something uh, similar concept of time travel, just no time machine involved, but in the vein, right? In the vein of, of that kind. This is a newish thing, but it it's not the only time this has happened, right? Yeah. Um, the time loop, basically. This movie introduces the concept of the time loop. Yeah. And that this would be so like uh, inspirational to filmmakers going forward that you get lots of stuff. There's a Disney movie called uh, Once Upon a Christmas with Mickey Mouse where this same thing happens. I think I've caught some of that sure. with my kids too. Uh, 51st Dates, Edge of Tomorrow, uh, that new Andy Samberg yeah. thing, Palm Springs is like the same structure. And then there's a like a comedy slasher called Happy Death Day from just a few years ago, which made a bunch of money, which has the same thing. It's like the same thing, but in a slasher movie. And and so... Uh, or for you, Looper. 
Looper. And then for Micah, Marvel's Doctor Strange. <laughs> You're welcome, Micah. Thank you so much. So I think from like a writing perspective and uh, a acting perspective, it presents a unique opportunity, right? Because it's not like you're going through eons and decades. This loop creates a almost like a sketch like, you know, environment for someone like Bill Murray to kind of knock down the dominoes as they're set up for him. Do you find that as a, a feature that helps the movie, Justin, or is it kind of a gimmick? What do you think? It, no, I don't think it's a gimmick, especially because it kind of, well, maybe it didn't invent the concept of time time loop. It's probably, you know, like you said, in the first movies to do that. Yeah. Um, it, it It's a fine line, though, especially for this movie where he's always waking up in the same spot, same music. Like, it it gets a little, it, it can, uh, I'll say, yeah. run the risk of getting really uh, taxing on the audience. Like, we don't, we don't need to see the same thing exactly happen again unless something changes, yeah. you know? Um, so, yeah, I mean, it does, it, but to your point, yes, it does give Bill Murray the opportunity to, uh, well, o- opportunity or, or what we, we, what did we talk about with, uh, Chris Reeve in, uh, somewhere in time, Travis, yeah. like you, you mentioned, he's just kind of acting his pants off because yes. he has no choice. He's yeah, just yeah, in yeah. a bed crying. <laughs> um, you know, so Bill Murray in this, in this sense, he really does. He gives a, a very different Bill Murray performance i think mm-hmm. to, to bill's credit this yeah. is one of his least likable characters i think you know bill murray is really easy to love um micah i think he even has a stuffed animal of bill murray which is you right. know weird because it's not an animal Cubs uniform so. yeah <laughs> um but you, you know uh but speaking of animals also uh are you guys aware that the groundhog in this movie his real name was scooter <laughs> and uh according to bill murray the groundhog really despised him yeah um and bit him uh several times i think he had uh, to be like almost hospitalized at one from one of those bites if i recall he he needed to seek medical attention rather it wasn't just like oh give me a band-aid i think he needed stitches or something yeah i don't i do i did read that he went to a doctor because he split his knuckle open (laughs) um but yeah I, i i don't know i i don't know if he had to get stitched um it's it's entirely possible. Anyway, I just want to throw it out there. Scooter is probably um, deceased now, departed yeah, from this world. Probably, um, probably has nothing to do with his vaccination status. Yeah, and uh, uh, it's just too bad. I was hoping we could reach out and, and get him on here. Well, maybe he's the reason that you know Harold Ramis and Bill Murray had a real falling out because Sco- <laughs> Scooter got between them. Uh, let's get into it. Uh, talk about moments we liked, things that worked, things that maybe didn't in a section we call Lessons in Lightspeed. Well, I mean, wormholes, black holes, Kipler cylinders. So not like fantasy, but science fiction. Where are we going in your time machine? Okay, now we got to set this thing to the 15th. Do not lose that time device, or you will be stuck. How will I know if it works? You'll either know, or you won't. So this is a time loop movie, which we've already said. But basically, we've got at the top Bill Murray, um, who plays, like Justin said, a very unlikable dude, um, uh, Phil, the weatherman, and... uh, what I what I do like about this movie is it's a like kind of an ensemble cast, right? Like all the B characters matter because they help reinforce the concept and give him stuff to play off of, and they 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 just get to have fun with like playing with how would he do this if he realized he could do it a different way, right? But uh, other than that, 
Andy McDowell is his producer as he's being sent to uh, Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, yeah, Western uh, Pennsylvania. Yeah, and then, but not filmed there. But not it was filmed, filmed in. Uh, I believe it was filmed in Woodstock, Illinois. Yeah, yeah, I uh, think he's right. And uh, Chris Elliott is the cameraman, and I think he's uh, just kind of great. Uh, every time Chris Elliott pops up in anything, it makes me pretty happy. <laughs> he's less gross than some of his other roles. Yeah, well, he can yeah. do, he can yeah. do gross. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, he's not. He's very like uh, warm, and uh, other than when he's trying to pick up on on the girl, which is just sad. It's yeah. so sad. Well, I mean, in the end, yeah, right. He did get redemption for two bits. That's true. Yeah, for two bits. <laughs> uh, so basically, what we have here is like he goes there for Groundhog Day. He's not super stoked about it, and I think Justin. Well, let's try to pull some of the substance out of the movie because it is like you said, it's kind of like lighter fare in lots of ways. I don't think this movie was ever shooting to be some, you know, groundbreaking story right. that rocked people's worlds. But I did read some insane stuff about it with like people, people like uh, gather around this movie as if it's like a religious experience. And like people have said, this is the most spiritual film I've ever seen. I think I read in, um, Ebert's retrospective from Oh five. He was like, some people call this the most spiritual film ever made. Uh, they must not have seen that many movies, but that's not the point or something like that. And he even like, uh, right. throws a little shade at him. But, uh, what's your overall take with the success of the concept and execution, Justin? Well, uh, first of all, it really helped the success of Groundhog Day and Punxsutawney. Yeah. Uh, apparently, the, the crowd swelled uh, tenfold um, post this movie being released. Um, I, I did think it's interesting that this movie's not filmed in Illinois, or excuse me, that's not filmed in Pennsylvania, yeah. but that it, you know, apparently Gobbler's Knob is a real thing. That's mm -hmm. really where they have it. Um, so just interesting that they would be that. Um, strict on details for an event that very few people knew about and yet not actually filmed there. Um, th so, so again, I've kind of forgotten what your original question was because I wanted to say something else. And uh, uh, Just what's your overall take? What worked, what didn't? I just, I'm looking for okay. a, a, an entry point here before we get into specific sequences. You know, it, it, okay, so like you said, it's, it's, it's a soft movie. This is not a movie for a goofa ha ha you know? Uh, Micah, you mentioned something about Mary. There, there's nothing in this movie that strikes me as funny as some of the parts in something like something about Mary, um, which is totally subjective, I'll admit. Uh, but it, I, I don't know that this movie really has. Um, it doesn't have something new to say, really, right? Which is fine. There's really nothing new to say under the sun, unfortunately. Sorry, kids. Um, but it, it's if it's saying anything. It's that, um, you know, you have, you have one life to live. You've got so many days to live. And uh, if you spend it just being a jackass and a, a jerk, um, then there's a lot less uh, fulfillment um, in many ways. So it's, again, that's, I sound really stupid even saying that, but, I mean, the movie's not going for any new groundbreaking, really. Yeah. It's like Bill Murray is selfish, and by the end, he's selfless. Yeah, that's um, it, right? It's like, it's a story about a guy who's a bad guy who learns that he wants to learn how to be a good guy. That's kind of it. Yeah. And it's, that's yeah. not a bad but, story. But I believe Micah has said, you know, he thinks this movie, I think this was before we started rolling, the tape, uh, on the eight track. Yep. And uh, he I said gotta change was, the tape real quick. Hold on. Is okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah okay, it. it's changed. 
Um, Micah, you said this movie was poignant, so I'd be really interested to hear your take on it, which is sure. hopefully... Um, yeah, I'll stop talking. <laughs> yeah, um, I would say that there are... I think now that I now that I consider it just start to finish and in terms of, you know, trying to separate Bill Murray from his typical roles, I would say actually it can be arguable whether or not he quote unquote becomes a good person. You know, if he simply just does it by rote, um, that's sort of a diversion. But as far as the, like the poignant moments, I think there are some, there are some lines in particular that, um, maybe more lend themselves to like the idea of existentialism, you know, just being in the same place, you're doing the same thing over mm-hmm. and over again, which is more or less one of the lines there. And then the responses, well, that about sums it up for me. And I think that uh, there's, there's some depth there. There is something in that yeah. one moment, I think, because he's talking yeah. to a real person who a lives real in that person. town. Yeah. Yeah. He's talking to two guys who yeah. are, you know, kind of bar flies. They've, you know, done their stint uh, in the service and they're, they kind of hate life. Yeah. Um, that guy's definitely the neighbor from the Burbs. Yeah, I, he is. I, I was um, like, oh, where did I know that He's Canadian. I, yeah. I forget his name. He actually recently passed away, mm-hmm. uh, maybe six, seven years ago. But I think Let's that Let's just line, cover everyone who's died in the last seven years. <laughs> well, Bill Murray dies several times in the movie. Uh, yeah, but I think true. there's that. And then I would say as far as there, there was another line towards the end where he says, I've killed myself so many times I don't even exist anymore. Right. And I think it's just an interesting... Um, that's an interesting element. Uh, I think some of the music interplays well with making it more poignant, more, you know, kind of like the romantic comedy. I, I somewhat, when I view it today, I, I think it's arguable whether or not it's a real, you know, romance because it's such, I mean, it's, it's ephemeral. It's the day of, and he's spending a day with, with this one person. Um, but I would say just as far as like just the reflection of what the value of life is, what life means, adding meaning to that life. I think those are good, uh, good concepts that do come out of this. And, and, uh, and then the last thing I would say is that the, the movie is somewhat of an, it's, it's an older meme in a way as well, because Groundhog Day today, if yeah. you say, well, it's Groundhog Day, that doesn't just mean it's February 2nd. It more means, well, here we go again. You know, yep. We're doing this again. And I think um, that's that's kind of an interesting cultural phenomenon from this movie as well. It's definitely influential enough, like to be held up there with uh, with other things. Like when we say, "Oh, he got into a time machine," right? Like we we don't know it, it. Like we don't have a concept of a time machine without H.G. Wells, the time machine, the novella. Not right. necessarily the 1960 film, unless you really like Morlock suits. Um, but the that it is like totally normal uh verbiage right like you yep. said it's like it's like when the nightmare on elm street movies came out and then like every news headline about something bad that was happening was yep. like oh a nightmare on wall street or mm-hmm. a nightmare like it has really worked its way into public vernacular um so i i agree i think with both of you to a degree like i i think it is uh taking a stab at some of those bigger ideas from time to time i don't know that it ever like i don't think harold ramus uh, is ever that interested in like, okay, I'm going to kind of lull you in with a Bill Murray comedic performance or a fun idea. And then I'm really going to like bring the hammer down and make this really mean something. And I'm not, uh, let me think about it. Like, um, for instance, um, planes, trains, and automobiles, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. John, John Hughes flick. And it sort of has the same like tonal feel to it, right? Like maybe a little right. bit more zany or whatever, but 
it like there's no question like the ending of the movie is kind of divisive right like some people love the ending because it's super sentimental yep. and it really is trying to say something about like you know caring for people and reaching out for people and not looking yep. at other people and you know similar similar characters really Steve Martin's character and and um, Bill Murray's character it, but this movie doesn't really do do that in the same way I think it kind of maybe that's better too though because it, it doesn't it doesn't ever feel to me like it's tonally off. It always is pretty consistent, but maybe Justin, because of that, it never, you know what I mean? Like it, it's a, it plays it a little safe at times. I just wanted to get your yeah. take as far as the playing it safe thing on uh, two things. One, I found that the, the movie kind of lulled me. And again, this is probably like the third or fourth time I've seen it, but I haven't seen it for like 10 years. So it's been a long time. But the movie kind of lulled me into this idea when it's like midway through and he's going on his first date uh, with Rita, who's Annie McDowell's character. And he kind of like does the thing, right, where he repeats things in order to learn more about her and work his way into like her good graces and not just her good graces, but other places. <laughs> uh, right. He's he's like attempting to woo her in a day, which, I, you know. To be fair, I don't know how else he's supposed to do that, like yeah. uh, without doing what he did. It has a little bit of the Ferris Bueller effect, where yeah. it's like, "How did you do all these things?" I mean, even on the last day, yeah, right when yeah. he's saving the life and totally changing the tire, and yeah. And I think, like, what what I do think the movie did, which was kind of a neat trick, Justin, which was like you're watching it and that they're having fun with the concept, right? Like he sits at the bar, he learns his favorite drink, he does it again, he orders a favorite drink. Yep. The great moment when he's like, what, when she's like, "What do you want to drink to?" and to the groundhog, <laughs> to the groundhog, and she's like, "Well, I always drink to world peace, right?" And, and so the next time he says, "I like to like to say a prayer and, uh, and drink to world peace," and then he takes a sip and he says. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of amazing. Yeah. So at the end of that date, you think like, oh, this it, the movie almost tricks you like he's probably tricking himself. Like this is love because he's learning more about her, yet she's not, right? Like she's had the same experience over and over. And then it they I think do a really smart thing with the script, which is like she says exactly what your brain is kind of in the back of your mind saying, like, no, this isn't. Yeah. This isn't really love, right? Real. Like, it's yeah. like if it was, then he wouldn't just be going from one day to like trying to sleep with her in a in a day. You know what I mean? Like, right. I there's something to that idea, Justin. That I think it does like that moment kind of well. What did you think of that? Yeah, I I, I agree. I'm not saying that it doesn't do certain things well. Um, and you know, you're talking about good lines. I really enjoy when he goes to the piano teacher and she's like. You've never had lessons before, and he says, "No, but my father is a piano mover." <laughs> you know, that's, yeah, that's really that's good. genius. Yeah. Um, when she pushes but, the girl out too, after she pays yeah, him, the money. Yeah. that's pretty yeah. good. Too. Could give you a thousand dollars. No, it's it's super competently made. Yeah. But I just don't buy because it doesn't. You, you you mentioned some things that I think tend towards the more dramatic. And yeah. So had the movie been supported by more of those kind of things, I think it'd be a different animal, maybe for the yeah. better. Um, or, or it could, you know, lean the other way and just be more, you know, goofy, silly, you know, make fun of Chris Elliott stuff. And that could have been fine, too. Yeah. Um, but because, you know, w while I agree that the movie did a good thing, you know, this is not really love. Okay. Well, but in the end, though, he still gets sort of the same result, which is right. just yeah. kind of hard to... It's if little, you think about it too much, you go, well, I, I know we, we've changed a lot because we've been on this journey with Bill. Right. I know Bill's character has changed a lot, but it's still... If you think about it, I think no, she's not. She's not hopping in the sack with him at the end of the day. Right. Um, but and, uh, and she that 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 is a little bit of a blip, right? Because 
the one logical thing, which it's a time travel series. So like we got to ask nerdy questions, but my, my question as I'm watching this and I don't really remember every scene, but I remember lots of moments. Why didn't he just stay up? Right? Like why didn't he just right. stay right. up? And I've thought about that too, though. Yeah. I, I think the nature of the loop would have him just pass out at five fifty nine and then wake perhaps, up. Perhaps. Yeah. Maybe the millisecond before. I don't know. Because even when she was well, there, right? She yeah. stayed and up the until other, midnight and, and then she the, disappeared. The other part of that blip is um why is this happening? Right. Right? Does everyone just everyone that screws up get a uh, 30 year time loop right. uh, until they figure it out, you know? So, I mean, obviously I think it'd be a worse movie, honestly, if it answered that. I agree. Yeah. Um, but it still does kind of be, like, if, if you, if you do think about it, uh, I don't know if there's a really a good answer. Not again, it's a weird spot. Cause here I am sounding kind of like an oxymoron or just take the oxy off. Yep. Um, where, you know, it, it, it it's kind of like with somewhere in time. Where did the watch come from? Right. Well, with this, it's like, well, why? Why is this happening to Bill? Though I'm okay with it happening, but yeah, but not knowing at all. I I don't know. I get it's fantasy and and whatever, but I think with time travel because it's so closely related to like sci-fi. If you don't explain those things at all, uh, it leaves something wanting, right? Sure. Or is is that just me? No, I think you're right. I think that like. The lesser of two evils in this case is not explaining why the concept exists. You know what I mean? Like you, that's what you get in like Edge of Tomorrow and like those other kind of more like harder sci-fi. This is like this is fantasy romantic comedy with some dramatic moments, which is <laughs> it's straddling all of those. But really, it just feels like a Bill Murray movie. You know what I mean? And that's not bad. Yeah. It just is yeah. what it is. Um, okay, let's get just let's just go down the line. Um, what are some of your favorite moments, your favorite lines? Because this is one of those movies that's like it's a quote machine, right? It's built to be like it's a really funny script. First off, that like the the comedy is really well done. Um, and even if Justin, it's not like a guffaw kind of a you know yeah. like like laugh hilariously for for minutes at a time at one joke. It is like really like bam bam bam. Every scene has a really good they serve something up to, for Bill Murray to kind of, to knock at least knock in a single through the infield or something. Uh, so Micah, give us some of your favorite moments from the movie quotes, scenes, whatever. Uh, one that immediately comes to mind is when he says, you know, this is pitiful. <laughs> a thousand people freezing their butts off waiting to worship a rat. <laughs> I, I, I thought that was great. Yeah. Um, it's very closely related. And actually it may be the scene just before when he snaps and takes the, takes the truck with Phil. Um, but I like that sequence because that's right up until he's starting to feel hopeless. Yeah. So he's really cynical. And then all of a sudden he's very hopeless, yeah. hopeless. He doesn't see any purpose. And so he just kills himself through and through. And actually I think as far as genuine scenes for his character, mm -hmm. the hopeless scenes where he, where it ends with him jumping off, off a building, which, and Maya's is a legitimately sad scene. Oh, really? That and um, when he realizes that the older homeless man, when he dies, yeah. those are the two for me that really show, oh, this is, there's actual humanity in this yeah. character versus, oh yeah, he's just, you know, he's a jerk and he's playing jokes on people and he's waiting for them to step in the puddle and, you know, he's just being rude to them. But you actually see, oh, there is some character development there because he's starting to, look at his plight and view it 
like externally see the humanity in other people a little bit more yeah because of the humanity in himself yeah yeah um, those are some scenes i think i the way i feel about it is like there are it's definitely like peppered with moments that are supposed to land more poignantly or more dramatically i don't think nothing like rocks my world from this movie you know the the bum you know that he uh you know uh, has to find out is going to die on this day. And then yeah. he goes through a couple different scenarios. Um, his stuff with, with, with Andy McDowell's character. I, I see where those beats are. And I also accept somebody's reading of the movie. That is like, like you said, like I, I, I read the jump off the top of the building as like really legitimately sad for me. I'm watching that suicide montage. And I think that's one of the funniest things in the movie is just like the, the comedic timing and editing of all that is really good because they don't have to go back to the clock every time. They just cut, cut, cut to right. each one of those, right? Like he's like, what does he do? He's he steps out in front of a truck. He throws first There's he a throws t- a toaster in the yeah. bathtub, and then he uh, jumps off the building. And so I don't know. I feel like uh, it is a legitimate reading of the movie to like let your emotions swing one way or the other. Sure. I just read it a little bit more popcorny, and I think that's fine. You know what I mean? Like, um, yeah. I think there's. What, one of my favorite line deliveries in the movie is when he's sitting in the like lazy boy armchair eating popcorn. Is that and, the Jeopardy sequence? Yeah, and yeah. drinking out of the bottle. And, he, and they're like... Teddy Kaka? Yeah, he's just like <laughs> sitting there rifling off the, the answer to the Jeopardy questions. And the old people are like looking at him like, what? Yeah. And then they give him a round of applause. Yep. My favorite is when he... He's answering them after the questions are asked. He's like, you know, mm-hmm. is it Alex Trebek in the sequence? Mm-hmm. It yeah. must be, right? Yeah. He's like asking the question, what is Tudikaka? What yeah. are the finger lakes? What are, and then, what is Mexico? And yeah. then before he asks the question, he just looks at her in the eyes and he goes, what is the Rhone? And then he just <laughs> takes a swig of whiskey. Yeah. Oh, that's really good. Yeah. Uh, Justin, what about you? Any moments you want to highlight? I mean, you guys c- covered them all, so and at least a lot of the good stuff. So... I'll just say that I uh, try to reinforce my point and maybe, you know, just bring some real negativity yeah. into this. Um, that'd be helpful. Uh, it, it's just, it's not a movie that, like, w- when you guys are saying those things, I go, yeah, I remember that. That was that was fun. But honestly, except for the piano mover thing, not a lot just made me laugh out loud. Yeah. Mm. Um, and so, again, it's it's a competent movie. It's a, There's some chuckles and some smirks. Um, but I... Not a lot. Like when the movie's over, I go kind of like, uh, okay, you know, like that was that was fine. Um, so yeah, I, I I just don't think it's a movie that really is is all that moving. Um, yeah. Overall, um, I would say our usual Schindler's List thing, Travis, but I'll spare the audience that this time. Yeah, if you want to know what we're talking about, go listen to every other episode where we talk about Schindler's List for some reason. Um, Can I just I, I just wanted to add one thing that that somewhat dovetails uh, Justin's commentary. In rewatching it and rewatching it as I get older, older, uh, I actually find the dynamic between Bill Murray and Andy McDowell, or, or I should say Phil and Rita, it's a little cringe in yeah. a way where it's like, oh yeah, he knows all these things about her, but you know she's none the wiser. I mean, I guess there may be an element of, you know, it's time Hollywood travel where maybe sure. she has, but maybe she has some tendril of some memory in some distant place in her mind, but. This but this movie is it's of, not that setup though. It's no, not it's not there's like an imprint no, from a yeah. yeah. She does say the deja vu thing. That's the True. one thing she says. Yeah. But as far as the knowing the that she doesn't like white chocolate, she right. doesn't like fudge, she loves Rocky Road, she loves French poetry, so let me 
and and let me have the same drink as you and yeah. drink to the I find that disingenuous and I don't really care for that element in watching the movie, even though I may find the movie funny and yeah. I may enjoy the movie. I don't think that's a good portrayal of what he's... And obviously, he's up against the clock because he only has one day. But how does she go from finding him to be egocentric, which is a word she uses the yep. day before, to, oh my goodness, this guy is so versatile. So wow, I had no idea. $389. Cents. Yeah. yeah. And and wow, you play the piano and you sculpt... I mean, I get it. It's supposed to be ridiculous and funny, but... I don't care for the romance. And I think yeah. um, I was listening to an interview with uh, Quentin Tarantino recently. And yeah. he, that was one of his criticisms of the movie as well. He said, I want Bill Murray. I don't want, you know, some phony maudlin mm-hmm. version of Bill Murray where, oh, he's a romantic. So maybe that's where the tension that we talked about at the top does exist, right? Like, I think uh, this movie, it is perfectly... Uh, it goes down smooth enough. Like, no one's going to watch this and be, like, repulsed by it. But if you really examine it, I do think that there is a failed tension at work here of like the dramatic versus the comedic or like just maybe exploring the idea of like love, you know, which is a large part of what his character does throughout the film. Uh, Justin, I have one very specific question for you. Did you um, did you find any of Bill Murray's piano playing uh, rather interesting in this movie? <laughs> yeah, man. I, I I was fully alert once it was like blues and jazz time. Yes. Um, uh, yeah. D- did I find it interesting? What, what, there's uh, a I melody. Like getting... th- yeah, there's a melody in there. That Are you he... talking about the Somewhere in Time stuff? Yes. Yeah. He plays but that I... Rachmaninoff thing. For like, no, I'm pretty sure it's Pagani. It's, it's Rachmaninoff. I think it's like number nine Pagani. Oh, I thought it was Pagini or something. Well, that's I believe that's the name of it's it. It's by Rachmaninoff. But it's Rachmaninoff. It's, it's yeah. called Paganini number nine or something. Oh, in, yeah. in uh, somewhere who's in time, a doofus now? Oh yeah, who doesn't know that crap, Justin? I can't believe you didn't know that, you idiot. <laughs> no, but did you recognize the melody? Like, I as soon as he started playing it, I got PTSD from somewhere in time. And yeah. I started. Did you start convulsing on the floor? I, yeah, I made sure there was no pennies in my pocket. Uh, it was terrifying. Okay, but okay, I had to look it up. Paganini was really a composer. Too. Oh, interesting. Oh, yeah, so, okay. for sure. Yeah. Uh, okay. Oh, for sure. Okay, well, I'll just stop talking. You guys can go have music history after this, no. okay? <laughs> I'll just go eat my stupid soup. Yeah, and eat you your guys can take soup. over. All right, uh, let's all eat our stupid soup in the final section, uh, which is where we're going to talk about whether it was worth any of our time, uh, which is a section we call past, present, and future value. Obviously, the time continuum has been disrupted, creating this new temporal event sequence resulting in this ultimate reality. English, Doc. If you travel to the past, that past becomes your future, and your former present becomes the past which can't now be changed by your new future. Gentlemen, we're history. Uh, Let's kick it off with our illustrious guest, uh, Micah. What did you think of Groundhog Day? This is a stupid question because you've seen it a million times, but uh, is it worth your time? And if you were going to rewatch it, how often would you rewatch it? Those are the questions. Sure. I would say it is worth your time. Um, Granted, I'm a little biased. It's sort of a family movie, but I do enjoy it. I think it's, I like the the humor to it. Yeah. I like rewatching it. I don't think it's a movie you have to watch all the, all the time. Yeah. Um, I typically only watch it 
once or twice a year. Uh-huh. Um, I try to watch it. I try to pair it with Groundhog Day. Oh, my gosh. Uh, the day. But I would say as far as um, worth the time, sure. Yeah, I think it's fun. Um, it lends more questions afterwards. But yeah. um, if you're willing to put in the 10,000 years, then go <laughs> for it. Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, Justin, how about you, man? It's it's all right um, for for my money. It, it, if you're looking for just some gentle popcorn or family, like Micah said, viewing. I mean, it fits the bill, um, but it's not it, it's not as deep. I mean, it's it's kind of it's a little sad to me, honestly, that some people say this is like the most spiritual movie ever. It's not not that there's like again nothing to be said for that or or corollaries you couldn't draw, but that seems a little extreme. Um, so. Yeah, if you if you want to if you haven't seen it, I would definitely watch it so you can at least be caught up, but um maybe maybe don't go in with too high of expectations even with William James Murray in the lead. Maybe don't build your spiritual uh world view around a movie about a guy stuck in Punxsutawney. Yeah, or just a movie in general, probably a good. That's idea. fair. Uh for me, I think it, it's an interesting movie for our questions at the end because Justin, I don't know about you, but because we're like lovers of movies and we watch a lot of them and then we, you know, talk about them. I find myself like, I, I, I don't often find the middle ground that, that easily. I usually really love something or I was like, yuck, you know, and I find it hard to, uh, give something exactly, you know, a mental two and a half out of five stars. But right. I will say, the question of rewatchability is is really apt here because I think this movie is pretty enjoyable on the first watch, right? Like if you've never seen Groundhog Day and you're getting it as the movie is unfurling and you get to kind of discover the concept alongside Bill Murray, I don't know that like the really like under the microscope stuff that we were doing today, it will, you know, it's almost impossible to do that like we're doing it on a first watch because that's more like rewatch territory. So what I'll say is like, it's worth your time if, if you've never seen it before, but I, for me, I don't think it has high rewatchability like potential because every time I watch it, it's like, okay, you've seen him punch Ned Ryerson in the face. Like, you know, that's coming. Uh, and some of those things just lose a little bit of their sheen, but it's a yeah. great Bill Murray performance. Um, I think the last line is really good and I love, judging movies by their last line. Um, I think that's, that's solid. And yeah, the cast of B characters is super fun too. Like it's n nobody's, nobody's boring to watch in this movie. Everybody does a lot with their, with their part. Uh, it's saying nothing bad and some things that are okay. You know, like uh, the idea that someone would want to go from being a uh, sort of a hater of people to uh, more accepting of them or a, uh, a shallow view of how he relates to women to a little bit more like actually building a relationship with someone because you actually know them. So there's, there's something there. It's a little trite at times, but certainly worth your time for the first watch after that. I'll leave it up to you. I probably won't rewatch it a ton. Once again, Micah, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It was a blast. And thanks for introducing us to your stuffed animals and your bow tie. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Justin, we've got a weird one next week. Terry Gilliam. Yeah, 12 Monkeys, right? Yes, and Annie will be here to parse that 
one out with us. Good. It'll be great. Good. Uh, we got a couple more in the time travel series. We hope you'll join us for all of them, especially because we have a, a big boy at the end, Avengers Endgame, which I think maybe if you're listening to this, you might have seen it. So we'll see you next week for 12 Monkeys. Bye. Hey, since you're still here and still listening, thank you, by the way, we'd like to ask an additional favor of you. We have social media. It's a thing on the internet. And all you need to do is find us on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook and like and subscribe. I know this is annoying, but we have to ask you because we want more people to hear the show. In addition to that, if you could rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen, we would greatly appreciate it. See you next week. Bye.